One of our supporters wrote in and asked the question of how you work through an unwanted divorce when you're the victim of it and you're struggling with forgiving your spouse, who is the one that initiated and pushed through the divorce. And so I was thinking about that question. It was a good one. But also realize that this question, to some degree, applies to all of us because all of us have had difficulties in our relationships, and and hopefully we have come to the place where we realize we needed to ask for forgiveness or grant forgiveness to the other party. And you know that, well, that's difficult to do. Of course, when you're talking about an unwanted divorce, that's probably about as difficult as it can be. And so I wrote this article here that this podcast is about, and it really does apply to all of us who are struggling with or have struggled with a broken relationship, because navigating a disappointing and painful relationship is something that we all have had to do. And as the Lord gives us more days on this planet, we probably will have to do it again. And though you can bounce back quickly— from some of these strained relationships, there are other relationships that are broken, and they will require more work. And so in this podcast, I am responding to our supporter who went through an unwanted divorce and is struggling with forgiving his wife. I want to share with you the question that he wrote to me, and then you'll have a pretty good grasp of where I'm going in the podcast. But I do want to say this, even though I am writing to him and his wife is the one that initiated the divorce, if the tables are flipped and you are the wife or the ex-wife and you did not want the divorce, this applies to you. And as I've already said, if you've gone through any kind of strained relationship, I've got some things that I want to share with you because it also applies to you too. Now, if you do have a question that you want me to work through something, it doesn't matter if you're a a supporting member or not. It's great that you are, but everybody can't do that, and I understand But we want to serve you regardless, and if you want me to put a podcast together for your question, send your question in. Maybe it will be something like this where it is applicable to everyone, and if it is applicable to everyone, I want to serve you. I want to help you practically, but also want it to be a benefit to others as well. So just let me know what your question is, and I would would love to consider it for a podcast I want to thank Bruce. I met Bruce at a restaurant today as I was meeting with someone else. Bruce has been a a long-term supporter of our ministry, and and he asked the question. He said, when are you going to be doing another conference? And I said, well, somebody will just have to ask. Now, we do have four others that are slated in various parts of the country this year, but if you do want me to speak, whether it's locally here in in Greenville, South Carolina, or anywhere else for that matter, all you all you have to do is ask. And then someone else, I had a note passed along to me, and it was really encouraging, and and I was curious about it. I'm going to tell you up front, I'm going to butcher this lady's name, and I'm very sorry about that. But her name is Sayobahan, Sayobahan, it's S-I-O-B-H-A-N, and I'm very sorry for 
butchering that. But she was sharing our ministry with a friend of hers, and she said, this ministry is someone that is something that I follow. Uh, Rick Thomas is also a counselor, but his material is amazing, and it has helped has helped me and helped shape my career. I'm curious as to what your career is, Saya Bahan. Uh, but anyway, thank you for not only sharing the uh, our ministry with others, but thank you for letting me know that it has helped you personally and, and, has, and has also helped you uh, in your career. That is an encouraging thing. If you want to read this podcast, please go on our website. The t- here's the title of the podcast and the article. The article is about 2,400 words. There are a lot of embedded links inside of it. The title is The Victim of an Unwanted Divorce Learns to forgive. Here's the question that was sent in to me. The supporter said, I just want to say how much I appreciate your articles. I have been receiving your emails and have benefited from them. God has undoubtedly and wonderfully used you. My heart broke when I read your bio and the things that have happened to you. I do have a question, if you do not mind. How long did it take you to forgive your ex-wife and find a new normal? I have been going through a divorce for the past few years. I did not want this and still do not want this. As I continue to get beat up in this process, I find it harder to forgive my wife and a few others who wanted her to divorce me. And so there's the framework for this article. But as I said, this will apply to anyone who is struggling with a fractured, broken relationship. And you do have some hurt and animosity in your heart to where it's hard for you to minimally forgive them attitudinally. Sometimes you can't transact forgiveness with another person, but you can attitudinally forgive them. And so there's the struggle. And here's my response to uh, this supporter. I, I have said many times that an unwanted divorce is one of the worst things to happen to anyone. It is even worse when there are children involved Divorce is endless pain. If I could extract one item from the narrative of my life, there are a lot to choose from, but the one that I would extract first would be my divorce in 1990. And so in this podcast, I am speaking to those who did not want a divorce while realizing that there are others who do not see dissolving their marriage as a bad thing. I'm not speaking to you. They see it as a necessary result, and I won't get into what that could be, but I know that there are others will not, they would not call their divorce an unwanted divorce. And so their narrative is different from what I'm describing here and from what uh, this person is experiencing. The truth is there is nothing you can do to make it better not initially, other than riding the emotional and mental wave of time until you learn how to conquer the spiritual battle that is waging against your soul. That victory will come through Christ. It will cost you dearly, and it will take time. There is no medication. It is painful, and the only way to survive well is to persevere in your suffering. You cannot make the pain of divorce go away quickly. And even after you get back to normalcy, which is what you're asking here, you will walk with a limp. 
as the memories come spontaneously, randomly, and, and unannounced. Your greatest enemy at this point is, is time. I remember as I looked at the second hand on the clock, it, was, it seemed as though the second hand was stuck. Time dragged, and I, I tried to distance myself from my problems I distinctly remember the six-month mark after my wife left with our two little children. I told the Lord that if the next six months are, are going to be like the past six, I will not make it. And I can visually see the place where I was standing. It was in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, uh, geographically, where I was standing, where I made that comment. The pain was too high. And the grief was too deep. Ironically, I couldn't figure out where to locate the pain, the hurt. I felt for it, literally, physically, looking for it with my hands, but I could not find it. I believed if I could locate the pain, I could do something about it, but the location was elusive. And then one day, it dawned on me where to find the pain. It was in my chest. It was my heart. I had a broken heart. That was when I realized there was no quick solution for what was ailing me. When I breathe out, it hurt. When I breathe in, it hurt. Every breath I took was painful. There was no escape, and suicide was not an option. Now, what I have described to you is the hard part. It's the bad news. And I doubt I've said anything that, that you have not already experienced or, or thought. People who go through unwanted divorces resonate with my experience to their own degree, in their own unique way. They also know that you cannot manipulate God in this matter and you cannot speed up the process. Sadly, too many of them make it worse by not perceiving or processing or practicalizing a God-centered view of this problem. Whether it's an unwanted divorce or another painful relationship malfunction. Now that is the bad news. But here's the good news. In Psalm 34, it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And then in 147.3, it says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And so as far, as far as the good news is concerned, there is no doubt that my divorce was the most transformative and life-changing event in my life, excluding regeneration, of course. But this acknowledgement that I'm making to you now is more than 30 years later, and I am speaking of that uncomfortable tension between, I would never want to repeat this, but I have come to see God's favor on my life through breaking me this way. And though you may be able to perceive this truth intellectually, it will take you a few years to live in the goodness of it practically. The redemptive benefits of divorce should far surpass the negative experience of it. If you hope to survive your divorce well, 
I did not say that, that you can survive divorce flawlessly because you will not do that. And I'm sure you haven't done that. And I would say by uh, your question that you have framed to me, you haven't done that. You will make many mistakes. I imagine that you have already made a few. You will say and do regretful things. You'll have episodes of failure, too. Correctly navigating a divorce is like walking through a car wash without getting wet. To my recollection, I quit God 487 times. I walked away from my faith, at least in my mind, over and over again. I was up and and then I was down. And when I was not up or down, I was sideways. Divorce is total disorientation of the mind to where there are times when it seems as though the good Lord has left you too. And that's what Job said in in 23. He said, oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I, I might come to his seat. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right, but I do not see him. For me, it was a triple loss. I lost my wife, I lost our two little children, and the Lord seemed to be gone too, because he wasn't listening. As one of my favorite country artists, Hank Wims, senior that is, he said in his song, I am so lonesome I could cry. But in time, the Lord did reorient my thinking. And though he was always there and always working in ways that were too deep for me to sense, I was not feeling it. I was lost, but God was not. He was guiding me while crushing me at the same time. There's a precedent for this. Isaiah 53.10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him, Jesus Christ. And Job said in 23 again, he said, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. You might not perceive the Lord's guiding hand in your life, too. You, you may be snowblind or like a pilot in a fog, which is why you must trust your instrumentation, not what you can see or what you can't see, or what you can feel. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so you must guard your heart Because your mind will try to deceive you. If you do not capture your thoughts by by thinking rightly about what you need to do, you will go down a slippery slope from which it could take years to recover. There will be strongholds developing in your mind, and bad habituations will control your life. I want to give you a, a few of these, not an exhaustive list of captivating strongholds that can take your mind and take you down a slippery slope. Here's a short list of things that can happen if you if you don't guard your heart. One, self-pity. Two, victimization. Three, hatred and other forms of anger, and there are many. 
Four, apathy. Number five, bitterness. Also, revenge. Number seven, guilt. And then the last one in this short, non-exhaustive list is is unforgiveness. And so I want to speak to the last one for the remainder of this podcast because, well, one, it's the biggest of all, but it is also one that was highlighted in the question that was sent to me. If you do work through unforgiveness by coming to practical peace about your divorce, the other sin patterns that I've listed here They will not have as much or any power over you. Unforgiveness, in my view here, is the biggest one of all. And I say if you can come to the place of practical peace, and I say practical peace because it has to be functioning and applicable and real life, real to your life in a practical way, measurable, observable, not only experienced by you, practically speaking, but other people will see a heart of forgiveness as they hear you talk about what has happened to you. I trust that you can hear that in my voice as I talk about this horrific time in my life. I don't feel unforgiveness uh, in my heart. Though she has never asked for forgiveness for what happened, I don't feel that. And so attitudinally, I'm not under the control of what happened, and that does tend to release these other things, self-pity and victimization and hatred and apathy and bitterness and revenge and and guilt, I would say, in an affirming way that all of those things are gone too. You see, an unforgiving person is an entitled person who doesn't understand the gospel. Unforgiveness creeps into our hearts when we see other people as as bigger sinners than we are, which is one way to, to say that. Or you don't see them receiving a just penalty for their actions. This trap is easy to fall into when you compare yourself with them, which is what is what self-righteousness is. The unforgiving, per, unforgiving person doesn't factor in how we're all guilty before God, regardless of our sin list. I have an article here that I would encourage you to read it. It's called Revenge, When Evil Comes to You. And it's part of the story of how I processed uh, my sister-in-law murdering my brother as she shot him five times with a pistol, killed him in in 1997, in April of 1997. And I wrote an article about that, and I've written other articles about it as well. But when you start thinking about other people who we could tend to believe that they're a worse sinner than I am, this article will benefit you. It was easy to compare my wife's adultery and subsequent pursuit of divorce as worse offenses than my sinful contributions to the marriage. It was this self-righteous stance of my heart perpetuated my misery, though I didn't realize it at the time. I thought my chief misery was because of what she did to me. My main difficulty was how I played, quite honestly, the victim card, even though I would say that it was un- I was unwittingly doing this, but that, that is what I was doing. The victim card said her sin was worse than mine, and I'm suffering more than her. Now, at the core of my being, 
I believed I was more right than she was. You could say, I was more righteous than she was. And to make things worse, she apparently was doing better than I was. And so when you have a person who, in your view, has done the worst sin, and then you watch them as they are doing better, you're going, well, you will probably play the victim card. And so from a practical sin comparison perspective, it was easy to make a case as to who is more righteous from a practical sin comparison uh, comparison perspective. And that was how I spun things, at least in my mind. Though our sins may be different consequentially, that is not the whole truth that I had to consider. And so I want you to make that distinction as well, because where we tend to focus on is the consequences of our, our sins. And consequentially, her sin was worse if you want to go there. But that's not how you're going to get better when you think about the consequences of sin. There was another truth to factor into my mess. It is this. We all are equally, equally guilty before God, regardless of the length of our sin list or the consequential impact of our sins on others. As long as you see your ex-spouse as a worse or bigger sinner than you are, the more you will be resisting the Lord's empowering grace in your life because God resists the proud. This truth that I'm sharing with you was the hardest of all. Honestly, and I'm being honest here, I didn't want to let go of my rightness. And and let me define that word. I didn't want to let go of my self-righteousness. Let's assume you and your ex-wife are in heaven at some future date. Would you be able to tell the Lord Jesus that she was she was a bigger sinner than you were on earth? Lord, she was a bigger sinner than me. You're not going to do that. And as much as we want to compare ourselves to other people, it is an unwise play. Or as Paul said, it is a person without understanding. 2 Corinthians 10, 12, he says this, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. The King James Version of this verse says they are unwise, which means you're a fool. In Matthew 18, 33, Christ said this when he was telling the story about the person who was forgiven uh, 10,000 denarii or, or whatever it was, and then he would not forgive the person who owed 100. He said, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The two sins, comparatively speaking, were radically different. But the point that the Lord was making is that we forgive, and it's not about the sin list or even the consequences. There's another way to, at another time to talk about consequences and how to work through the consequences of somebody's sin. But what the Lord did is he took away everything that was dear to me, except for one thing. There was something he did not take, and I was not going to let it go. It was my righteousness. I spun it as me being less guilty than she was, and I made an airtight 
case for who the biggest sinner in the room was in our relationship. Meanwhile, she moved on while I chose to wallow in my righteous victimhood. It took me a long time to figure out how that kind of thinking was perpetuating the other seven deadly sins in the list that I gave you while keeping me in spiritual bondage. It was like a self-inflicted gunshot repeatedly. In Job 42.10, the, the verse says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And finally, four years later, I called my ex-wife, and I asked her to forgive me for being a jerk in our marriage, and I said more than that. I was not perfect, and I knew it. Consequentially, her sins were worse than mine, if you, if you want to go there. But when we both stand before the Lord, that will not be the issue, and it will not be my argument. And though she did not ask me to forgive her then or now, the Lord did unlock my heart and released me from the self-imposed bondage that I had placed myself in because of my lack of attitudinal forgiveness. Attitudinal forgiveness is between you and the Lord, not between you and the other person. You can forgive them in your heart, even though you may never transact forgiveness transactionally. Your ex-wife may never ask you for forgiveness for what she did to you, but you can still be free from what she did to you if the Lord changes your attitude toward her. But if you choose to fixate on the unfairness and the raw deal, no matter how true it is, I'm not minimizing that, would never do that, you will not imitate a forgiving Jesus, but you will continue to deteriorate into a person who believes that you deserve better. It's a well-worn cliche, and the last thing I want to do here is cliche you, but it's true. You and I are doing better than we deserve. There's a powerful passage of Scripture about this idea of forgiveness, talking about imitating the forgiving Jesus. It's in 1 Peter 2. There's a passage there. It starts in verse 18, as far as the paragraph is concerned, and goes through 25. I'm going to give you 20, 22 and 23 here. It says that, that Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered... He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And though I did not read the previous the, a couple of verses back, it says that we are called to walk in his steps. And I just outlined some of the steps of Christ. And the step, one of the steps that I want you to see in this passage is he kept entrusting him to him who judges justly. As you move past what she did to you. There will be empowering favor on your life. You will experience a more in-depth work that the Lord wants to do in you. God is for you. He is working on your behalf. Ask Him to release you from her actions toward you. The title of this podcast is The Victim of an unwanted divorce learns to forgive. I've been addressing a person, an individual, a supporting member, 
who wrote in and asked how to work through forgiveness of his ex-wife, and he is he's on the receiving end of an unwanted divorce. And what I've shared with you just now, it will benefit you no matter what kind of disappointing relationship that you are in. If you get the gospel at this point of forgiveness, you can be free from what they have done to you, regardless of what they do in return, as far as, say, like they never transact forgiveness. I also have a link here. I wrote a book a couple of years ago. It's called Suffering Well, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. There's a link here in uh, this article, and I would love for you to get that book, or just go to our store. Just go to our store or type in Amazon, Rick Thomas Suffering Well. Those four words in Rick Thomas Suffering Well. And it's an autobiographical journey where I unpack these thoughts that I'm sharing with you now, plus a whole lot more in that book. We've had hundreds and hundreds of people that have read that book, and they have truly benefited from it. And it has become a gift for many people as they have shared it because the Lord has chosen in His mercy to me to use that book. Now, also in people's lives. Now, also, I have some questions here uh, that I would love for you to work through. I'm not going to share them in this podcast because we're done now, but I would love for you to go to the call to action part of this article. It's at the bottom and read the questions. And one of the key things that I would want you to do is to find somebody to walk with you through this. And if you need to talk to somebody, if you need to talk with us, we do have our free community forums who are, that are brought to you from our support by our supporting members. And so you can go there as well and ask your question. Thank you for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.